rejoiced. It was also used as a greeting to one another, and uh, as people would come out and rejoice. Uh, but we are commanded to rejoice, and then he commands us further, and he says, uh, pray without ceasing. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're constantly praying the same prayer. Paul said he, he prayed for the Romans with the same word consistently. Doesn't mean that he was saying Romans and walking around, but it means kind of like a, a constant hacking cough where he was just always remembering what it was that needed to be prayed for because he was in constant communication with God and uh, with Jesus Christ. Because he also then tells us to give things and everything. And in a world where things seem to be going so wrongly, and so many people are living without God in their life, it's hard sometimes to be thankful. But when we look back at what it is that Christ has done on our behalf, we certainly can be giving thanks for everything. Because no matter what, whether it feels good or it feels bad, it feels right, it feels wrong. God's the one who's in control. He's the one who has brought us into his kingdom. He's the one and the reason why we can rejoice. Yeah. And so today, well, I'd like to open it up for us to hear your prayer requests. Um, we want to rejoice with you. We want to hear the good things that God is doing in your life and through you. We want to hear the things that you're concerned about. Uh, we want to hear the things that you're worried about. Uh, we'd like to open it up and pray. We do need a runner, though. Uh, would someone be willing to run around with the mic? If you would, each time share your name and, uh, and then share your request. Hi, my name is Jeevan. Um, my prayer request today is, is that at my place of work, we uh, lost a couple or even a few of our, like, our detailers. Um, and the other ones are kind of like working really hard overtime type of thing, but it's summertime for us. I work for Enterprise with a car. You can cheer or boo, it's fine. It's great. Um, but, it's summertime, so more cars are necessary to clean and you know kind of get ready. And we used to have like a full set team, even like extra people helping. Us. We have half of them, so um, I would just like prayers that hopefully you know, continues to give energy and like, determination for the ones that are still there, or like any like drama that happened between the details. Quit the long story. And then just for hopefully some really focusing for people to come to us and then makes us really successful really just show that we can get to Else. 
Hi, I'm Ted. I want to pray for Kara. She just took a leave of absence, and she just needs some guidance on where to go and how to do what she plans on doing while she's taking this time off. Also, for about the past six months or so, I've been praying for my, my stepmom. Um, she was ultimately healed. She passed away last week. And uh, so my dad's really hurting. So we just want to pray for him. He's got um, my two stepsisters are really, really, really taking good care of me, which is awesome. My brother has started coming around after years of not talking to him. And he's been calling and stopping by. And my sister, who hasn't talked to him in 40 some years, sent him a message and said, I love you, Dad. So God's got a weird way of doing stuff, but it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. So just pray for my dad. Thanks. Thank you. 
Lord, I want to lift up Kara to you, and just in this time of <clears throat> taking the leave of absence, Father, that you would just um, make your presence known to her and just give her wisdom and guidance and, and rest, um, restoration, Father. She gives, gives, gives. Lord, just, uh, just bless her heart in this time. Uh, takes this leap. Father, we also lift up David in the situation at work. And thank you that he has a, a heart for people and uh, for his workers as well. It's not just a matter of filling slots, but that people had difficulties. And, and uh, thank you that your heart is in him, that uh, he would be able to make things right. And uh, so we lift up to you the whole situation. And I don't know what it is, but I do pray that you would provide new workers, new people who would be able to come in to fulfill the, uh, the needs there. That, uh, but I pray, Father, through all of this, that you would shine through him and that people would ask the question, why is he a different man than everybody else? And why does he care so much that he'd be able to share the love of Christ with them? Father, we just lift up to all, all these things. We thank you for the opportunity to come together, to come together as a body, as a family, to bring these concerns to you, the things that we are concerned about, things that we are praising you about, things that we are thankful for. And we give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Mark. Did you leading us into that time? Thank you, everyone, for joining in and praying uh, for one another. That's the best work that uh, any of us could do. Uh, so uh, we've been working through the book of Philemon. As you can see from the slide there, uh, Pastor Evan has set this uh, series and titled it Dear Friends and Fellow Workers because we're looking at three very small books that have kind of a big punch to them. Uh, one being Philemon. Uh, the book we've been in now for about, uh, this will be our fourth week, I believe. Uh, then we're going to look at Titus, and then we're going to look at Jude. Uh, and uh, it's, it's subtitle in there is The Beauty and Challenge of Church. And uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to present this series to the body of Common Ground is because we really want to develop Christians who are leading. And 
we thought maybe it would be good to give you a, well, uh, just a full disclosure. Uh, leading in ministry is beautiful. It is. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, you get to work with Jesus. I mean, best good work there ever is. And in fact, he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to do all the work that he's called us to do. So it's a piece of cake, really. It's like going on vacation. It's not like going to work. Um, but, uh, but then it can be challenging, too, because ministry means that we deal with people. <laughs> Ever noticed, you know, out of all the animals that God uh, created, the one that he likens us to most often, you know, yeah, I wish it were like a golden retriever or something like that, because they're awesome. Lions, lions are cool. You know, but then the devil, he gets likened to be as a lion. So like I said, I don't want to be a lion. Uh, but it, yeah, most often it's sheep. Sheep. Now, anybody here hung around sheep? Okay. That's not a compliment, is it? <laughs> sheep are something else. I mean, they smell funny. They look funny. They walk funny. They just kind of do everything a little bit weird. And, uh, and, 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 you know, sheep, they, I don't want to be a sheep, but sheep, um, they, they just follow each other without even thinking about what's going on. And I guess, yeah, we do that too. And sheep get scared easy. You know, a thunderstorm comes over and they'll just throw themselves on their backs and just give up. Big <laughs> moves. <laughs> 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 So I guess sheep are probably a, a good way to do it. And, and if you ever hung around sheep, you've probably been butted by a sheep. You turn your back on them, and uh, they just kind of come along and give you a little love taps with their, uh, with their head. They can knock you right out. I have a friend who's in ministry, and he had a sheep farm. Well, his dad had a sheep farm when he was growing up. And uh, Ken Davis is his name. And they had a sheep named Herman. And Herman, uh, he hated Herman with all of his heart because he was hauling water in to fill the, the water troughs. And they had this electric fence with weed burner uh, electricity running through it. And he was just working his way through the wires. He knew how to do that as a life little kid, you know, to, to get through there without hitting the wires. And, um, and Herman came along and butted him right into the, the fence. Water was spilling everywhere. He could get electricity course and threw him. And, you know, and that was Herman, you know. And unprovoked, he just, you know, went and butted the guy that was bringing him, him water. It's, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Because, you see, people, we're people. Just this morning, I was looking out the window uh, of the door there, the entrance there. And I was watching this squirrel, and I was just thinking to myself, man, the squirrels in Rapid are fat. You know, they're just big, gray, fat squirrels. The squirrels out of my place are kind of reddish and, and they're kind of weeny looking, you know. But uh, So I just like watching squirrels. And sometimes I think maybe God could compare us to squirrels. Uh, this big, fat squirrel was working his way across the cable, the, the power line over there. He got about halfway across the power line and a grackle, you know, those, those kind of holy little blackbirds, just started going at him, purposely trying to knock him off. The cable. And I'm like, what did that squirrel do to that bird? <laughs> but, but that bird had some reason uh, to come and make that squirrel's life miserable for, for a little bit. And sometimes don't we just do that? Sometimes don't we kind of make other people's lives miserable? Don't other people make our lives miserable for a little bit? I mean, heck, life would be great if it weren't for people. <laughs> And uh, I've said that quite often too about ministry. Ministry would be awesome, you know, if it wasn't for people. But, but I'm people. I'm people. And, and, and you're people. And, and somehow we're supposed to figure out, well, how do we, how do we live together? And in Philemon, we see the story of, of one person uh, wronging another person. And Paul having to step in and do that right. And Titus, we're going to see what it's like to try to lead a ministry when uh, every, everybody in your ministry, you're supposed to appoint elders out of a collection of or a population of people that are liars and gluttons, you know, and things like that. Uh, but that's, you know, that's who God has to work with because you see he transforms lives, he changes lives. And that's part of what ministry is, is being in the trenches of transformation. And Jude, well, don't get me started on Jude. Jude's just mad. Okay, <laughs> and we'll see that when we look at this. So as we were working through the book of Philemon, uh, Pastor Evans said, well, let's, let's just kind of parse it out a little bit. He says, I'll get it started, and then Justin, he says, I'll start with Paul, 
Okay, so everybody needs a Paul. Uh, ministry needs a Paul because Paul's the guy who's helping people to get along. Okay, uh, when, when we butt heads with one another, knock each other in an electric fence, or try to get another person off the, off the wire they're walking across, um, that's when Paul's got to step in. I thought, man, what a great sermon to preach about Paul. Paul the reconciler, Paul the peacemaker. That's, that's pretty cool. And, and then Justin, he got to give us Philemon's perspective. And last week he talked to us about forgiveness and how, how forgiveness is a, a, a vital ingredient uh, to the gospel. It's essential to the gospel. And how we need to be quick to initiate forgiveness and, and step in there. And uh, I thought, yeah, what a great sermon uh, material that is to, to look at Philemon. Because, man, don't we want to be Philemon as Christians? God has forgiven me, so now I will forgive others. And, and, and that's not easy, is it? That's a, that's a tough thing to do. So really happy about that, that message to equip us to step up and be a people like Jesus. If we receive the forgiveness of Christ, we should be free and quick to forgive others. I could go weeks just talking about forgiveness. And then Evan said, Nick, why don't you... Teach on Onesimus. Uh, how did I draw the short straw on that one? Okay, because Onesimus, you know, he's the goofball. That's the whole reason for this letter, so to speak. And, uh, and and there's not a whole lot of information about Onesimus. I'm like, how do I talk about about Onesimus? So um, so help me out a little bit. If you would open your Bibles or uh, or your apps and your phones, whichever you have, uh, to the Book of Philemon one more time. It's only 25 verses long. I left my water down here and I need it. It's only 25 verses long. We've read it several times, but guess what? The, the Bible's slippery. Okay, you read it, it just doesn't stick in your head first time you read it. Right? And there's a lot of things in there, more than names on a page or words on a page, that, that we need to see. And, and the best way to do that is to just keep digging into it, keep reading it over and over and over over again. And so uh, we're going to do that one more time. So the book of Philemon, it's just before the book of Hebrews. It's uh, the last of Paul's epistles in the New Testament. In case you've ever wondered, how did they arrange Paul's epistles in the Bible? They started with his biggest one and went down to his shortest one. That's it. That's the magic right there. That's, that's all there was behind that. All right. So here it is, Paul's shortest letter. He does not talk about the gospel at all in this letter. Hopefully that's something you've heard repeated by Evan and by Justin and, and now by me. Uh, this is strange for Paul to not teach about the gospel, but yet of all of Paul's letters, oh man, where would we be without the book of Philemon? Because here we see the gospel at work. And, and that's what should happen in a church. That's what should happen in ministry is the gospel should be at work. So let's read through it, uh, beginning with verse 1. Let me get a drink of water because I'm drying up. All right, no way to do that quietly. Wireless mic on you. Here it is, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Kind of the way that's worded, it seems like uh, Philemon and uh, Thea are probably married. Uh, in Colossae, the Christians gathered and fellowshiped in their home. Maybe Archippus was related to them, maybe a son or something. Paul considers him a fellow soldier. Verse 3 says, Grace to you, peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now that Paul's got his customary salutation out of the way, he gets into the body in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Bless you. That's Philemon. Did you hear that job description that Paul just gave of Philemon? If I was Philemon getting this letter, I'd be going, all right, yeah. Paul, Paul, 
thinks I'm something. And I, I, I've been beneficial to Paul. This is, this is good. And then I read on verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. But this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So now we've learned a little bit about Onesimus. And, you know, we've heard the background on him, but for those of us that haven't been here, but maybe for those of us that forget like I do, um, Onesimus, his relationship to Philemon was that he was a slave in Philemon's household. And he ran away. And apparently he probably stole something when he ran away because he wanted to get so far away from Philemon as he could that he made a 1,300-mile journey from Colossae to Rome. I don't know what Philemon did. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I don't know if there was something that just upset Onesimus, and he says, I am done working here. And, and he lifted something that he could pawn or something, got some money or something like that. But, but off he went. And as, as Evan has told us, and, and uh, Justin reminded us, that to be a slave, to do something like that in the, in the culture of Rome in that day, well, that would be a death sentence. So he just ran as far away one direction as he could go. And of, of all things, he ends up meeting Paul in prison. And Paul, being Paul, does what Paul does. He shares the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. And then as a brand new believer in Jesus Christ, he's just there being discipled by Paul. And if you've ever been discipled by somebody, you know, they become like a rabbi to you, and you just love them. And it's whatever I can do to help you, I'm here to help. Paul, he had, he had issues. He was locked up. So uh, Onesimus was probably maybe his late man who went out and ran errands for him and delivered things for him in Rome or something like that. And, 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 it, and it's a good situation for Onesimus, right? Okay, now he's not just a bondservant slave to Philemon. He's a bondservant slave to, to Jesus Christ. And he serves Paul in that capacity. Right? But then Paul says this. Philemon, I'm sending him back to you. Really like to keep him. He's a lot of help. But no, I want him to go back where he belongs. And old Philemon, you probably think he's of no worth to you after what he did. But I want you to know that he is useful both you and me. And that was a play on Onesimus' name because his name in the Greek means useful. Useful one. I don't know what Philemon was thinking after Philemon or after Onesimus hit the road, but he might have been thinking, this guy no good to me whatsoever. Why would I want him back? Paul sends him back. So verse 17, he goes on to say, if you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive Paul. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And, and I think what Paul was saying there is, is you know, the, most, the most you can give me right now, Philemon, is just to receive a miss and respect. Instead of confidence of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. And then we have his closing of Hathras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, 
sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, there it is. There's, and and that's, that's it. That's what we know about Onesimus. Okay? That's, that's what the, the words in, in the scripture tell us uh, about him. Uh, but I think that his part of the story and his part of the gospel is this. Uh, you need someone who's going to be the mediator. That's Jesus Christ. Okay? There is no one who stands between God and man other than Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't only the mediator. He's the executor of what needed to be done to, to redeem mankind back to God. Paul kind of is representing that in this situation. Uh, then you have the offended party. Okay. That's God the Father in, in our relationship with him. And, uh, and, and Philemon kind of represents that person. And so, so who's Onesimus? Well, Onesimus is the sinner. You and me, we're Onesimus. And what Onesimus needs to do, where Paul needed to uh, step in between and be a reconciler, and, and where Philemon needed to be a, a forgiver, Onesimus, well, he needs to be a, a repenter. So just as Justin pointed out last week that forgiveness is an essential element of the gospel, so repentance is an absolutely necessary ingredient of the gospel. The gospel does not work a part of our repentance. All the work of Jesus Christ will amount to nothing, and forgiveness cannot happen unless there's a change in heart of the one who's caused the offense. So not only should we be a people representing Jesus Christ, a people who are quick to grant forgiveness, we should also be a people who are quick to be repentant. When the prophets went to the kings and the people leadership in the Old Testament, the first word out of their mouth was repent. When John the Baptist began his ministry to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, he said, repent. When Jesus started preaching, first words out of his mouth, first sermon he ever preached was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Peter, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him and everybody in Jerusalem is wondering what's going on with all these disciples of Jesus, uh, Peter steps up and starts to preach. And the first thing that Peter says is, repent. You think God's telling us something? And, and, and it's really easy. I mean, I, I've done this one as a Christian. I said, well, I did that. Yeah, I did that. The day I became a Christian, I repented of all my sins. And, uh, and I asked for God's forgiveness. And, uh, and, and there you go. But you see, repentance isn't really a one and done thing. Repentance is a constant. That even as Christians, we need to be uh, repentant people. So to do that, we've got to understand, well, what is repentance? And and, and, and what it isn't, okay? Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, boy, you want to talk about a church that needed to repent. Uh, in his first letter, he was pretty hard on them. And he kind of felt a little bad he had to be so hard on them, so he said so in his second letter. Uh, but the result of his being hard on them was that the Christians, for the most part, in Corinth repented. And, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And Paul is really kind of talking about two forms of repentance that happen. In the, in the New Testament Greek language, original language, uh, we will find... Uh, repentance show up or the concept of repentance show up uh, in two ways and one is mateo and the other one is metaneo and there's a big difference between those even though it kind of produces the same concept to us about repenting uh, Judas Iscariot okay we all know what he did praying Jesus Christ selling him 30 silver pieces things like that in, in the old King James, it says, and Judas repented himself. And so that's led to a question, did, did Judas truly repent? Well, the word Mateo 
means to feel sorry that you got caught. Feel sorry that people realize that you stepped out of bounds or something like that. Metaneo means grief over who you are, not just what you've done. Grief and that oh, I'm that kind of person, that I could be that sort of thing. So, guess which one Judas did? Metaneo. When Judas felt bad about everything that happened, uh, he, he didn't really repent because this is what he did. He went to the priest and he said, take the money back. It made him feel guilty. He just wanted that guilt to go away. Just take the money back and they go, no, it's done deal. <laughs> do, it, do what you will with it. We don't want blood money. It's yours now. And so then the next step Judas did is he went out and he hurled the money away from him. He was doing He's trying to get rid of that guilt. How well did that work for him? Very good. Because his next step was to go get a rope, back to a tree, hang himself. He had so much regret, he, he, he didn't know what to do with it. And that, and that was the only cure he could think of in his, in his own mind. He had another option. He had the Onesimus option. He didn't take that. So, Repentance is not just feeling bad about something I've said or something that I've done or something that I've thought. And, and repentance also is not that passive-aggressive apology. Okay, we got parents here, right? Kids ever fight? Make them say sorry to each other? How does that go? Sorry. <laughs> Are you really? You know? You know, and, and, you know, we still do that. We still behave like children sometimes, you know, when we do something, think something, or say something we probably shouldn't have done. Um, you know, this, this is the way we repent. and go, I'm sorry that you were so easily offended that I should upset you. That's, that's passive-aggressive. Somehow we're turning the offense back on the person and, and instead of looking at what we did ourselves. So, metaneo, here's what metaneo is. It's, it's acknowledging the wrongness of an action or a word or an attitude in light of the relational context of God and others. So, this is a good chance right now for us to just kind of pause and take stock, take inventory. How's our week been? You know? What are some actions that we've taken, some attitudes that we adopted, some words that we let fly? And were those three things or any one of those things truly loving God and loving others as ourselves? That's a great commandment. That's a great commandment. That's something I have to check on every single day. Am I, am I loving God? with all of my being, with everything I've got, and am I loving my neighbor as myself? Because here's the thing, this is a weird, weird situation. Um, you can only love God as much as you love the least of your brothers. You can only love God only as much as you love the least of someone else in humanity. I don't know about you, but that always pins me down. I'd like to give myself an A for loving God. I'm just saying all the worship songs that I'm in. You know, but if I have a D when it comes to loving my fellow man, I have a D in loving God. And, and the, my attitudes towards them, my words about them or towards them, yeah, or my actions towards them, or maybe actions that I've withheld that I should have given, um, those are going to be the markers of whether or not I'm walking as I ought to walk. So it doesn't take me very long to realize that I'm Onesimus. I have wronged somebody in some way, in some fashion. When that happens, I, I need to be quick to take the step to repentance. Um, so when we acknowledge the wrongness of our actions or our words or, or our attitudes, what, what we're doing is we're accepting responsibility. You know, that was me. That was my bad. Uh, I, 
can't sit there and say, well, they, they did this that cost me to do that, you know. They might have, but it's my actions, my words. And did they reflect the, the love and image of Jesus Christ? And, and if not, then I, I need to own up to that. One day I'm going to get a t-shirt that's made that says, if you mess up, fess up. You know, because, man, life's a lot easier if we're quick to do that. Man, I messed up. You know, just mess it up and move on. Make it better and go. So, I accept my responsibility, but I also have to do something else. I'm not just seeking God to forgive me. And I'm not just seeking the other person that I might have offended to turn me loose by forgiving me. But I'm desiring a change within my inner being so that those actions, those words, those attitudes don't come back. That was a good sound and ringtone. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, give me that ringtone. That's, that's the one to have. That's that was awesome. Yeah, that was <laughs> I haven't called you back. The whole mass is over. We got to go eat now. <laughs> All right. So, so I accept responsibility. But the other thing that I'm accepting is I can't stay this way. I, I can't let this continue. Okay. And 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 that's 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 repentance. That's what that looks like. Okay. So this is why repentance is necessary, uh, because if, if we're talking about a change, um, then we have to understand that any sin, and we just got to stop this nonsense of categorizing sin in our own heads, that there's these little sins that are kind of like okay, and then there's these really bad sins that everybody else does, but I don't do, I think. No sin is sin. Okay. Uh, the sin is stepping outside of the character of God. Uh, sin is actively rebelling against God, and even if it's a little bitty one, it's still rebellion against God. And we have to just we just have to accept that, okay? Uh, and not not sit there and say, well, they're worse than I am, or that or that kind of thing. Somehow excuse ourselves. And and sin, that's the thing that needs to change. Um, sin always results in some degree of ruin and devastation. There's never a time when I let a, a careless word fly that it does not create some kind of ruin. Or devastation, and it's really easy to think. Well, I haven't heard anybody else. It's just something in my own, my own thoughts, my own head, or, or or that sort of thing. No, you're ruining and you're devastating the image of Christ in yourself when that happens. Okay, there's always a degree of ruin and devastation, and that's got to change. Now, I was teaching my seventh and eighth graders this week because I, you know, it's our last. It was our last week of school. Friday was the last day of teaching for me this year, and I had the audacity to teach them until Friday. <laughs> no. And we, we looked at Judges, the book of Judges, and we looked at the book of Ruth. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever studied the book of Judges, but there is nobody in that book that serves as a role model for Christian. Nobody. Never comes close. She's an early judge. It just gets worse. As the book of, you ever, you ever read something in the Bible and it just left a bad taste in your brain? Okay, the other day, I, I accidentally dripped mustard out of a sandwich onto my fork, not knowing it. And then I picked up my fork, not knowing that there was mustard on it, and I cut into a brownie. Now, apparently, your brownie's pretty good right there. All right? This one had chocolate icing on it. And then on top of the chocolate icing was caramel. And I, I cut a chunk out of that thing, and I, I was sitting with a bunch of my teacher, fellow teachers, eating lunch together with them, and I popped that thing in my mouth. And I got to tell you, brownies infused with mustard, well, if you've ever thrown up, that's the taste. <laughs> you know, and I'm, 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 I'm in polite company, so I just can't, you know, whack it out. So I got this big, chunky, you know, if you've ever thrown up, what's the first thing you do? Rinse your mouth out. Right? No one sits there and goes, wow, that sounds good. <laughs> no, I get it out as fast as I can. The book of Judges is like eating a mustard-infused brownie. It really is. And, and I, I remember when I finally realized what Judges was all about, um, uh, I just, oh, yeah, how do I clear my brain? Well, the only way I could clear my brain was to put something else in it, just like you put water in there and shake it around. Uh, so I went to the book of Ruth, because it was next. I was not interested in the book of Ruth. 
You know, when I first started reading the Bible as a young Christian, I thought the book of Ruth was just some kind of soap opera, sappy romance that God just included to keep the, the ladies happy or something like that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I, I just never dug into it. But this time, because it was there, I, I just started reading. And then I noticed something I always missed every time I read the book of Ruth, and that was in the days of the judges. The book of Ruth happens in the days of the judges. And then as you read about the character of Boaz and Ruth, you find the first two decent people since Adam and Eve before Genesis chapter 3. The first set of sinners that actually look like the image of Jesus Christ. Were they perfect? No. No. But what amazing people they were. And they're no role models. You know, and then in the book of Ruth, I found out the gospel's not taught there, but it sure is exemplified. And it all kind of came down to how they treated each other. So here we are, we have to ask ourselves, how are we treating each other? How are we doing with that? There's a lot of ruin and devastation in Ruth's life. You see, God wasn't done. And we can't let God be done in our lives. We can't let God be done in our relationships. We've got a couple of those. And I can't let that ruin and devastation just continue to sit there because you know what happens to the smell. It just gets worse and worse. And, and the only cure I know for those relationships is forgiveness and repentance. I have to learn, well, how do I do that? How do I step into that? Because it's so necessary. Renewal, restoration, revival, reconciliation, none of those things can happen, cannot happen uh, without another R word, and that R word, of course, is repentance. Now, our relationship is with God and it's with other people. So we have to repent before God, right? That's not so difficult because, you see, if I have an offense against God, it's 100% me. You know, it, it wasn't God at all. He, you know, God's perfect, God's holy, God's good in all of his ways. Uh, and, and so, and I'm not. So I understand that when I go to repent against God. But when we're, when we're dealing with other people, here's something we have to understand. Um, is that uh, we're not perfect. If somebody comes and repents to you, and that, that's what you really want, right? You know, they wronged you in some way. And you heard... You heard uh, Justin's sermon on forgiveness, and so you're ready to go. Okay, you got both barrels loaded for that. Well, you, you probably have to understand that you need to own your 2%. Even if that's all it was, 2%. That contributed to whatever happened. So uh, repentance between me and God, that's, a one, that's kind of a one-way thing. But repent, repentance between human beings, that, that always needs to be a two-way thing. So, uh, so we should always be ready to repent, even when we think we're the most right. We're not all right. Mostly right. One or two percent. Confess that. So here's how repentance was demonstrated in the Bible. I thought it'd be helpful if I saw some examples. You know the story of Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Esau, twin brothers, all right? Jacob, dirty, rotten scoundrel. Thief, liar, thief, that kind of thing, con man. That's Jacob. Hero of the Old Testament. <laughs> there are no heroes in the Old Testament. They're just people. Our hero is God. Um, anyway, you know, he, he cheated Jacob, or Esau. He cheated him out of his birthright and his blessing. Esau had a right to be angry at his brother for that. Yeah, and, and he was so angry that Jacob had to go to a far-off country for a while. Kind of like the prodigal son. And then eventually God brought him back. He had to make that journey back home. And guess what? He finds out that Esau, over the 20 years that he's been gone, Esau has become his own nation, basically. And Esau is approaching him with 400 armed men. And Jacob says, all right. This is how we're going to minimize our losses. He divides his family up. He was actually willing to let some of them go so that others could possibly escape. 
And of course, he picked his favorite wife and favorite children for that. Um, and, and then he goes on ahead of them by himself. Uh, Jacob against Esau and 400 men. He goes on ahead. He sent gifts before him to Esau. And then as Esau came into sight, he approached Esau and he, he bowed down on the ground several times. And he called himself Esau's servant. See, this was Jacob repenting. Something he did 20 years ago. Something that separated from his him and his brother. And we see, here's the first way to repent. It's humility. It's having that right understanding of who we are. And, and that's, I'm a person that needs forgiveness every single day of my life. Every day of my life. And I don't deserve it. But God gives it freely. And there's people in my life that, that I need their forgiveness. And it takes some humility to swallow my pride and to lower myself for them and make them more important than me. And then we have King David. Oh, man, what a piece of work. King David. Supposed to go to war. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It was spring when kings go to war. But David stayed home in Jerusalem. Because he didn't go to war, he was already disobedient right there. Uh, because he didn't go to war, he ends up seeing a woman he shouldn't be seeing. Keeps looking at her, desires her, asks for her. Even when he's told, uh, David, that's uh, <clears throat> the daughter of Eliam. <clears throat> uh, Uriah the Hittite's wife, you know, Uriah, one of your friends. You know, one of your trusted knights at your round table. That's, that's his wife, I think. David says, bring her to me. And, and then he goes to bed with her and he gets her pregnant. And he's like, oh man, I gotta get out of this. Repentance would have been a good act back then. But instead, he tries to hide it. Tries to cover it up. Tries to get Uriah to come home. Take some leave of absence from the war. Uriah, too good of a man to do that. Says, no, we're still at battle, so I'm just gonna post myself as a guard outside your doors. I don't know why you sent me home, but nobody else gets to go home, kind of thing. That frustrates David. So then he gets Uriah drunk and tries to send him home. Uriah still stays in his position as guard at David's palace. He's a better man drunk than David is sober. And David's had it. So he says, i got to fix this thing somehow. So he sends a message uh, back to Joab in Uriah's hand. And that message was basically, kill this guy. Put him in battle with the fiercest warriors that the opponents are. And when the fighting gets heavy, abandon him. Wow, David. Like I said, sin is sin. I'm just when Nathan, a good friend of David, went and told him a story about sheep, got David mad because it was about one guy stealing another person's lamb, and David says, who does stuff like that? That man deserves to die. And Nathan says, well, that's you, David. You took something else. And that that led to David to repent. And, and I got to tell you, if you, if, you, if you want a really good prayer of repentance, just go to Psalm 51. Because that's where David pours out his heart. And you can see that as he does that, he's contrite. Not a word I use very often, but contrite just means to be brokenhearted. Brokenhearted over what I've become. Not so much what I've done. God, we're supposed to be reflecting Jesus in all we do. And David says, I did not do that. I did the exact opposite of that. And crushed him. And then our third example of repentance is, oops, go figure, Onesimus, who had to travel 1,300 miles back to the man that he offended. Onesimus, with the help of Tychicus, walking along with him, of his own free will, went back to the person that he probably least wanted to see again. Oh, this is probably not going to go well. But Paul says, I'll help you with that. Writes the letter, so just give that to Philemon when you get there. It'll be okay. 
1,300 miles. Do you think that gave Onesimus a lot of time to think about what he'd done to Philemon? How he needed to make sure that got made right. So in Jacob we have humility, in David we have contriteness, and in Onesimus we, we have the journey. And this is the one part of repentance I think we miss most often. Okay, I'm sorry I offended so-and-so. Not repentance. Repentance is the journey. We go to so-and-so. Face-to-face. We say, I wronged you. said things. Or I did something. Or I've just been toting this attitude that you don't deserve. I'm here to ask for your favor. Father, as, uh, as we consider these real-life human beings who have made a mess of life from one time or another, Jacob did it, uh, David did it, Onesimus did it, we do it. God, I pray that you would instill in us a, a heart motivated by your spirit uh, to see our sin for what it is and to be grieved by it and to have a godly sorrow, as Paul talked about, that, that leads to uh, repentance and, and, and forgiveness without regret. Lord, I pray that you would find us a people quick to confess, quick to agree with you. <coughs> our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes. And God, I pray that you would see us a people that turn, because that's really what repentance is. It's turning. Instead of going one direction, we decide I'm going to go back the other way. So God, would you make us a people that are quick to turn away from sin and uh, quick to turn to your holiness your righteousness, your character. God, would you replace what's broken in us and redeem it and make us once again a, a vessel of your goodness. Make us once again a reflection of your, your character in this world. God, we, we preach the same message to a sinful world. Repent! probably going to repent if we don't show them. So God, may repentance begin here, may it begin right now in our own hearts. Lord, I just pray right now for any broken relationship that requires repentance and forgiveness. That God, you would make us quick to initiate. Quick to make the journey quick to be broken in our hearts over what's happened, the ruin and the devastation that we've allowed. Lord, make us quick be grieved by what breaks your heart. And God, we pray that as we take those steps that, that we would rise up knowing that this is how you bring healing knowing that this is how you bring restoration and redemption and reconciliation. God, this doesn't have to be a, a message that makes us feel bad. Lord, the message of repentance is one that leads us to joy, that leads us to peace, that leads us into a growing love for you or our neighbors. God, if this world needs anything more than anything else, it's for us to be role models, like Ruth and Boaz. Be decent people in an indecent time. To be a people that shine like a light in a very, very dark world. So God, do your work in us through your Holy Spirit that we would be made whole with you and with the people you've chosen to surround us with in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.
there were ever a church that needed to repent, it was the Corinthians. Uh, this is Paul's closing statement to the Corinthians out of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, let's make this our benediction today. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a good day, Tom Brown.